Hi, welcome to the Keenan Yoga Podcast and as I mentioned I'm going to say a few things at the start which you know not necessarily selling you anything so um, don't switch over, don't fast forward yet <laughs> although I am doing a Thailand retreat in February so you're welcome to come to that I'd love to see you and I'll also be in Europe if you're in Europe. Um, I'm starting in Europe in uh, late April. I've got a schedule on the website of a whole bunch of different places and of course I'd love to see you there as well um, and retreats and workshops blah blah blah. Anyway you don't want to hear about that well maybe you do. Anyway, uh, what I wanted to talk to you about today before Rima Data's podcast, which is a, a great episode, so stay tuned for that, is how Keelan Yoga got started in the podcast. And uh, just people often say, like, you know, it's amazing what you've done and, and how did you start it? And, uh, you know, the teaching online and the, all the, the different uh, workshops we used to hold for Keelan Yoga and the panel discussions and the podcast. And, you know, and it's just a, a weird thing when this, these things happen just out of the blue, really. Um, I, I can't really say how we didn't really purposefully start it. We, we just had connections through being in Mysore and Teresa and me met at Purple Valley Yoga in Goa. So we hosted a lot of teachers and we kind of knew a lot of teachers. And then we just thought, you know, let's, when COVID came, it's the start of the start of COVID basically. I mean, everyone had to lock down. So I stopped teaching a Mysore in the city of London. I was, before that, I was just a Mysore teacher teaching the city of London. I'll do a few workshops here and there, you know, but uh, that was it really, you know, and, and it was difficult. It wasn't, it wasn't going that well, really, because at that time, loads of other yoga centers had, had, had started opening up and they were, they were kind of, um, they were kind of better than the yoga center I worked with in, 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 in terms of they had better facilities and uh, like showers and uh, cafes. And, you know, my one was a bit, you know, kind of outdated by that time, you know, the, the one I taught myself for. So, so numbers were dwindling. You know, um, and just how I mean, you know, I still loved it though. You know, I still I, I was still fully behind the Mysore program, so I didn't want to. You know, I was really resistant to uh, to to the lockdown. Well, you know, but what could you do? You know, you had to lock down. So so we did, and then the podcast started because Teresa said, you know, well, you've got to get online, and you and then why don't you do a podcast? And as a man, you know, often the case, you might you might sympathize with this if you're, if you're a woman <laughs> and I said no you know I don't want to do that <laughs> and then I, you know I went out you know and I came back and I think okay it's probably a good idea so let's make it <laughs> and you know so I mean I have to put it all down to Teresa really who, who came up with all the ideas in the first place and then you know I just kind of carried them through um, and I got a big mouth I suppose and uh, you know and to that end, I don't, I don't claim to be the best at interviewing, you know. And I often get comments like, "Oh, you know, just shut up and and, <laughs> and let the interviewer talk, let the interviewee talk." No, we don't want to hear from the interviewer. And you know, and I totally understand that, you know. I mean, to my defence, I'm just doing the best job I can. You know, I'm not, and I'm trying to take these kind of things on board. And and uh, I just get, uh, I'm not very good with, uh, I suppose, silence. <laughs> So, so I tend to rush the questions, and uh, you know, I still get nervous at it. But as I said, I, you know, it's not—it's not really to hear my own voice. You know, I, I really do want to to showcase other people's opinions, and I started the podcast to showcase other people's opinions. So it wasn't—it wasn't for the you know just to just to kind of big myself up, as it were. You know, um, so if I, if I interrupt people, it's it's not for that reason. It's uh, you know, it's just I'm a bad interviewer, but I'm taking I'm taking it on board, and I'm trying to be better because I you know really the podcast and all our work on Keenan Yoga, all our work on Keenan Yoga is just to try and present different opinions on on yoga, on on living, you know. I mean, I try and relate yoga, you know, I mean, when you're relating to yoga, we're relating to everything in life, you know, not just asana, but everything in life, you know. So it really goes that deep for me, you know. And, you you know, 
I've benefited so much from hearing different people's ideas and, you know, even a simple idea that I hadn't thought of a number of times has changed my my view and my, um, you know, changed my approach to asana and my approach to life quite a lot, you know. So so I wanted to be able to help other people with that as well. Um, and that was really important to me. So it's always upsetting when I, you know, you get a negative review on the podcast, you know. Um, and uh, but I do understand it. And, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get better at interviewing. But it, t- it turns out I'm, I think I'm way better being interviewed than I am at interviewing. I think interviewing, if you've ever tried it or if you're feeling a, a somewhat like a, you know, <laughs> I'm not the best interviewer. It's hard. Try it sometime, and it isn't easy. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Anyway, um, so you know, I hope you like the podcast, um, and I'm sorry if I'm not the best uh, at my job there. But uh, you know, I want to provide the service, so I keep on going. You know, and uh, and please review us and and be kind. <laughs> Uh, because it helps, obviously, when you review us. It helps the reviews and it helps the uh, you know get us up the charts, as it were. So drop us a review. I think you can do that on Apple, Spotify, or I think yeah, probably those two. I think or something like that. Uh, and that really, that really, really, really would help us as well. But uh, wait, no signs of stopping any of it. Really, we've got a new panel talk coming up soon. A new conference coming up. It's a conference on yoga injuries, yoga injuries, therapy, healing, and even operations and whether to, whether not to. Uh, so that should be a really super interesting topic as well coming up. And that's coming up next year with a, a great panel lined up to discuss that expert panel. Um, and we just keep innovating. So to that end as well, you're part of the community if you want to be, and I'd love to have you. And just let us know what you want to hear more of, what you, you know, what you, <laughs> what you want to hear less of, me. <laughs> and uh you know we're building together and, and that's always been the case trying to build this together and yeah uh i hope i hope we can st- we can keep on doing that because there's no sign of stopping there's no sign of a lack of guests uh, to interview on the podcast or a lack of topics to discuss on uh, panel talks or so there's you know there's we kind of feel like there's, there's there's more and more to do not less and less in a way even though covid i hope is behind us you know we're, we're definitely continuing and uh yeah, we couldn't do it without you. So, so thank you. And uh, if you want to review us, that'd be great. If you have fancy donating a few quid, as we say in English, a few euros, a few pounds, uh, yeah, that'd be great too. But you know, we'll do it out of love, really. So, you don't need to. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I hope to see you in person sometime as well. So, uh, I suppose without further ado, let's introduce you to Rima Data, today's uh, podcast guest. And I'm really happy you listened to this. Um, and yeah, let's hope to meet in person sometime. Okay, so welcome to Kiran Yoga Podcast. Today's guest is Rima Data. It's a pleasure to have you, Rima. Thanks, you. Uh, Thanks welcome. for having me. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so we were just discussing um, before. Often uh, the most interesting stuff happens before we we take we start the interview, and uh, <laughs> and then how to how to introduce Rima today, and and she suggested she practices in many different ways. So when we take it from there, um, the obvious question is always how how did you start, and and uh, and where do you find your practice today? So uh, yeah, I know you've got an interesting journey with yoga that spans uh, a professional career in the UN as well. I'd love to hear a little bit about that and your background, and then how you found yourself into becoming a yoga teacher, much to the, the disappointment of your parents, I believe. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, That's accurate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my parents were pretty disappointed at the start as well, to be honest. <laughs> mm, okay. uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's all, it's over to you. Yeah. Let, let okay. us know a little bit about you. Yeah, yeah well, I, I kind of just was born into it. You know, my mom sings mantra and 
So I've literally been hearing her sing mantra since I was in her womb. <laughs> so, uh, and they became my childhood lullabies. So that was a big part of growing up is listening to her and her sisters and my grandmothers singing mantra and Aryan was a part of our lives. So just, you know, mm. I was being fed your food. I didn't realize how spoiled I was until I went to college because mm. my mom literally like made breakfast, lunch, dinner from scratch, you know, are you Indian food every day? <laughs> so when I went to college, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's bad Everyone out here. Like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trying to make a burger, somehow <laughs> balancing the kind of uh, the qualities of a, of a fast food meal. Um, where, where was that yeah. you grew up? Uh, in Maryland. I grew up in Maryland and we lived in uh, Michigan for a while. And then actually when I was eight years old, my family, we moved back to India. So I spent some years in India, elementary and some middle school. It was supposed to be a permanent move back because my parents were homesick and they felt like, mm. okay, we experienced America and now we're done. Mm. And now let's go back to India. So it was like we shipped everything <laughs> back to India. And, but then we, we ended up, um, after some years returning, um, to the States. And so I, I, I had some years growing up there, but also, mm. you know, while I was growing up, my grandfather, he has a huge passion for yoga and yoga philosophy. So, and he used to give lectures on the Gita and the Vedas and the Upanishads. So I grew up hearing him. And he was very, like, a very inspiring orator and just a dynamic um, person. So he was kind of my first teacher of the mm. philosophy, mm. you know, the Vedic philosophy. And he, you had a, he had a retreat as well. He had a, a, you brought some students to later on, right? Is that right? Yeah, that, that yeah. I did that retreat with Danny yeah. Paradise. We together brought, okay. uh huh. Oh, yeah, with, um, it was, Wait, it was like 2005 when we did that. Right. And about 23 guests we had, mostly Europeans and a couple Americans. And it was wonderful, you know, to go to my grandfather's village. And um, we, did, we did asana every day, but we also sang mantra every day and talked philosophy and, you know, went to the, to the farms and the village. And we practiced with the villagers and, just had a great time. <laughs> but they were practicing asana as well, were they? They were, yeah. Were they? And some of them, <laughs> so yeah. I mean, we were practicing pretty, you know, first series, second series, yeah. but and some of the villagers had never practiced those kind of sequences. But you know, they sit on the floor all day. They're strong, yeah. and they were practicing like no problem. <laughs> I bet you they could do it. Yeah, I everything. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. I didn't say it's a funny story. I worked at Purple Valley um, many years uh -huh. ago. That's how I met my wife, actually. And um, oh, okay. I used to work in the garden sometimes in the monsoon with, with workers in the gardens, local workers, right? And then they would say, mm. what are you doing down there, you know, with the yoga and stuff? So I showed them a couple of things and then they could immediately do them, you know, no practice at all. I yeah. remember uh, yeah. there's this one, I have a picture of one of the, one of the gardeners um, saying, oh, look at what I can do. And he, he, he puts his leg behind his head, stands up. So he's in Dervasasana with a leg behind the head, you know, standing up, you know, let's whip out no warm up, nothing. No, I never done it before. You know, just wow. a, yeah, yeah. That, uh, yeah. You know, I would not say so all was, people are like was, that, but there, <laughs> right. you know, there, there are. There's a natural. I think there's a natural propensity for for uh, a good level of flexibility. Yeah, and you know, and obviously traditionally they they're working hard. You know, they're working. You know, yeah. 
manually and, and have a, you know, like a, a much more conducive lifestyle, let's say, to, to being, you know, healthy than mm-hmm. us today, you know, where you have to just go exactly. to the gym to get any exercise or, you know, or practice right. yoga. <laughs> right. You know, yeah, I mean, asana gets a bad name these days, but I actually think in a way it's more important than ever because our lifestyles have become so sedentary that like mm. I hope people are doing asana too, you know. So, I mean, some of my family members who are more bhakti yogis or jnani yogis, I encourage them to do asana. So I'm, mm. I'm like on the other side of the spectrum with some, <laughs> some of the conversations, you know. Yeah. Um, well, yeah so, how did you get to, uh, from the mantra and from, uh, you know, because I often argue this, that it's, there's so much culture around yoga as it's done in India. And then, you know, obviously mm-hmm. in the West, you have this rather exclusive and kind of, singular taking of asana and using it as yoga itself and uh Mm -hmm. but you know how did you get into the asana from from a kind of a much wider culture cultural context i think you would have had you know yeah you you know when i was living in new york city i was working for the un and in the evenings and the weekends i started going to yoga studios and that was actually my first experience with yoga in the western world because I, i had always practiced at home and even, you know, my mom does some asana, even though she does more mantra and um, other aspects of yoga. But I, I, I've always loved movement. So when I went to the studios, I actually really enjoyed the movement. But I also noticed, you know, that the other elements were missing. And then I, I was um, working at, at the UN when 9-11 happened. And, and that was kind of... a a turning point for me because I was, I was in the evenings, like going to yoga classes and I was listening, you know, going back to the philosophy and just this one line, I heard a teacher say, one of my teachers, and it really hit me. And he said that there's violence in the world because there's violence in our minds, you know, and it just brought me back to some of the, like the Vedic teachings, if you see the Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita, it's all about the mind, actually, you know, how to overcome the destructive tendencies of our mind Mm -hmm. and come to a place of peace within. And then, of course, that radiates out and the outer world is a reflection of what's happening inside. So I, 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 I just felt the truth of this phenomenon that peace really has to start inside, you know, and I had a lot of internal conflicts at that time. I was in my early 20s and mm. just um, yeah. didn't feel like I was really doing what I was born to do. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. the UN was, it was very interesting, but I it just, um, yeah, I was more interested in the healing arts and yoga and, you know, the power of these practices. And, and New York was so intense after 9-11. I actually went to San Francisco just to visit a friend, actually. And um, I had a couple of friends there, and, and they were telling me, you should really try out the West Coast because it's completely different. And it's more, they were like, you would, you would like it here. So you should really try. So I, 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 um, I went there, and, and the first few days I was in San Francisco, I would just walk. Like every day I just walked the city because it's a very walkable city. And one day I saw this sign and it was like downtown San Francisco. And it was the sign was a yoga studio. And and I just felt drawn to it. And I had some experience with yoga studios in New York, but not a lot. 
So I went up, the studio was like on the second floor and it was just one big room. And it was like 40 room, 40 people in this room and they were actually practicing Ashtanga. Hmm. And I had never seen that sequence, you know, primary series. And where was that? And um, it was called Remember It's who Yoga. That was with? It's and Larry yoga. Schultz, he owned. Um, oh, with Larry, right? Yoga. Okay. So it was yeah. a kind of, was he, he was doing the kind of a fusion of like Ashtanga yes. and his rockets. Yeah. His, yeah. It was yeah, his yeah. rocket. Yeah. 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 But yeah. based on Ashtanga. Kind of Ashtanga, really, strong, isn't it? Like, where they get extra arm balances and extra kind yeah, of dynamism yeah. added in. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, very rooted in Ashtanga. So it was, it was the rocket. Yeah, and, yeah, but I hadn't experienced like Patavi Joyce's Ashtanga Yoga, so it was new for me. Yeah, you know, I was more I understood Ashtanga Yoga as the eight limbs, but I didn't. Yeah. I wasn't familiar with Patavi Joyce's sequences. Yes, but that I, confuses I just, many. <laughs> right, so yeah, I yeah. this class. It was like in the middle of the class, everyone's sweating and just in sync. And to me, it was extraordinarily beautiful. You know, just to see these, just see these strong people like. It was clearly a moving meditation and they were just in a beautiful, the energy was just beautiful. And I was actually like, wow, like what, what are they doing? I want to learn that, you know? So, so the next day I went back to the studio and I spoke with, you know, the people at the desk and who, the people working there. And I said, I came here last night. Like, what were you doing? <laughs> and and they said, oh, this is the Ashtanga Yoga. It's a particular sequence. It's based on a particular sequence. Yeah. I had never heard of Patabi Joyce. You know, even though I have so much yoga background from my family, I had never heard of Patabi Joyce, the style of Ashtanga Yoga. Did but you I relate was... the two? To, uh, and you said it was beautiful and like a meditation, but again, mm -hmm. how would that... I kind of, uh, can't imagine how you would rate that to the yoga of your background, knowing, you know, and having kind of been in India a little bit, obviously, you know not having any kind of <laughs> cultural background like you do. Nevertheless, mm -hmm. it's a bit challenging to relate the two together, hearing your man, you know, sing the mantra and, and you know, yeah. and growing up with an appreciation of the philosophy and Ayurveda and all these things. And then, you know, you get that. And it's like, mm -hmm. and could you make a connection though? Did you still feel, I mean, you know, on a personal level, did you still feel it was something to do with what you'd been exposed to in younger life? Yeah, you know, I could, uh, there was devotion in the room, mm -hmm, and right. I could feel that, and and people were synced with their breath, and which is interesting, because now, like, sometimes I go to studios, and I, I'm like, the students aren't even breathing, like, they're, they're not even aware of the breath, <laughs> even if there's all these asana movement going on, but I think actually that studio, there were very good teachers, because there was that link between breath and movement, and there was that feeling of devotion and community. And I really, I was actually taken aback by the beauty of it. And um, and so I ended up, um, I had decided to leave the UN and try out San Francisco. So I was in this, I thought I was in this in-between stage between jobs, because I let go of my job in New York, but I was going to find a job in San Francisco. But I thought, like, let me treat myself because my whole life I've been doing schoolwork, schoolwork. So, and they had, when I went and the next day to talk to the people at the studio, and I told them I want to learn the sequence. And they said, well, we have a one month teacher training coming up. You're welcome to take it. And I was very clear. I said, I have no intention to teach. I just want to learn the sequence for my own, you know, sake. Mm. And, and they said, that's no problem. Half of our students never teach. 
so I, so I I said okay so I took it and then and it was a beautiful wonderful experience and at the end of the month I actually wrote Larry a letter and I said thank you that was such a fantastic experience I just Did have you meet a Larry on it was oh, he on yeah, it he was the yeah, he, he was, was the main teacher, teacher. Right. okay okay right, right, right. yeah and I just said that was that thank you that was wonderful I just have a few suggestions of like things you could bring to your studio and no intention for me to do it yeah but I I just wrote a list and and I and I said things like mantra you know um, Ayurveda subtle body philosophy uh, pranayama and um yeah a list like that and then the next day he's oh you know the chakras and just teaching all these other aspects so the next day he came to me and he said would you meet me for lunch and i said sure and he basically just offered me a job he said why don't you he said i've been wanting to bring all this to my studio for years but i never had anyone to do that so why don't you and i i was actually i kind of said no i was like you know <laughs> I, we live in San Francisco. I'm sure there's like elders. I'll I'll help you find someone because you know in India it's like it's usually elders who teach these topics and mm. teach, which is one reason my family was so against me becoming a teacher because I was so young. You know, right. I was only like 25 mm. when I started teaching, mm. and um, and Larry just insisted. He said, "No, I just want I want you to do this," and. Um, so I said, okay. And I started to, my first gig in yoga was actually, I gave some talks to, in his teacher training program. So I gave talks on mantra and the Gita and, you know, aspects of the subtle body and pranayama. And then we just started teaching some work. He actually, then he hired me to write his second level teacher training manual. So, and which was actually wonderful for me because I love all these topics you know I was like really like I'm going to get paid to read and write <laughs> these topics that I love so much um so that's kind of how it started and and then I was doing all of that like teaching all these other aspects of yoga at his studio and then one day he said I want you to teach beginner asana and I said no way dude like that's the one thing I, I won't do because I was really new to that kind of, you know, asana mm. flow. And, and again, he insisted. And so I reluctantly said, okay. And it, it, I was surprised. It felt very natural. And, you know, I just, I just started to teach that as well. Mm. So he mm. was really the reason, you know, to this I day, I'm like, I don't people, know. Yeah. yeah. It's synchronistic, isn't it? How that, how it just yeah. fell into your lap. I mean, I think, a lot of people, I think, especially on an older, the older generation of teachers, and I say older generation, like, you know, people of your era and, and mine as well, you know, it just kind of happened. I think nowadays yeah. it's so out there that you can kind of want it to happen, you know, but at the time, right. it's like, I don't think a lot of us thought, I mean, you know, I'm sure you probably found it this, yourself coming from a proper job that there was any money in it, you know, like relative to what oh, you what, what probably had, there was no money, you got paid, no. yeah, but pittance probably um, compared to, and you know, and for me and for others, it was, and so, you know, and you mentioned Danny Paradise, and I, I know you, <clears throat> you have a connection with Danny that, you know, it wasn't a, 
wasn't something you did for money. It was because you were basically no. a hippie or a, or, a, or a hippie throwback in my case, you know, just kind of <laughs> mm -hmm. feeling like as you do in your 20s that, you know, oh, you don't need money, that everyone can just uh, learn yoga, and, you know, like, uh, you know, right. may yeah. maybe impractical mm -hmm. or maybe uh, uh, idealistic, but certainly mm -hmm. it came from, th there was that mentality in that era, you know. Um, Absolutely, and the, yeah. You know, the area that, that people like Danny and David Swenson come from, there really was that feeling of living in Maui and, and, and sharing mm -hmm. all the food together and literally not having yeah. two pennies to rub together kind of thing. And, you know, and yeah. that was fine, you know. Um, yeah. Things have changed. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, that after that long preamble, what was Larry like? I mean, many people don't know Larry of oh. Rocket Yoga. Um, but, uh, so yeah. it'd be interesting just a, a brief reflection on, on Larry Schultz because I think he he did a big service to the yoga world in lots of ways. But I think mm -hmm. he gets a bad rap in Ishtanga. The people think that he wasn't traditional, that he was rather materialistic in just putting mm -hmm. it towards the arm balance and more dynamic versions of asana, that he wasn't, quote-unquote, mm -hmm. yogic, you know, so... It, mm -hmm. it doesn't sound that way from, a, from the way you describe uh, him as no, a man. No, that's Steve not Arsenal. my experience. Um, yeah. You know, and just that link of what I grew up with, you know, with Vedanta, and it's like that union we talk about with consciousness, it's like a, it's an expansive feeling, you know, like when you're really in union with consciousness, your mind is in an expansive state. So, and and it's like, it's, our creative energy is rising, right? Kundalini Shakti, which all this dormant blocked energy at the base of the spine starts to stir and awaken when we practice yoga. So like fr coming from my family background, it's we celebrate um, creativity and expansion, mm. you know? So I was coming in at, at it from that perspective. So for me, and that's why I was like, wow, this is beautiful. Like this strong yoga practice is it's, it's gorgeous. I found it gorgeous and a beautiful way to expand, you know, the, mm. the, the, the traditional ways that I learned and I, what I was exposed to. So I, I'd never had that judgment with Larry, like, oh, he's changing <laughs> a set sequence because from my perspective, it's like, Things are constantly evolving and changing, and yoga has evolved in in, in India, even when it was just in India, you know. Mm. So I I never had that kind. Of, I I was I was aware. Uh, then I learned about the Ishtanga world of Mysore, and but I didn't come from that world, you know. So so I I never had that. I was I was always just like beautiful to see the creativity, and mm. on a very personal level. Because, you know, I did practice asana with my mom, but it was very much just like a few poses and holding yeah. them, not like a flow kind of mm. practice. Um, but so what I experienced when I, you know, when I worked at Larry's studio, I was the strongest I had ever been in my life, like so strong in my body. And I remember very like this moment of, because of course the body and the mind are connected. You know, so I felt so strong in my mind. And I, because even when I started, you know, when I did that training, the teacher training, I wasn't sure I was letting go of my life in New York and the mm, UN. Mm. I, I was still kind of a little bit in limbo. And, and through that, by the end of that, just one month, but by the end of the training, I really made some pretty big decisions of the direction of my life and just some relationships I changed. And, you know, I decided to actually not go back to the UN. And, and um, I had that mental strength, you know, and I remember 
very distinctly that, you know, my whole life I, I learned about being Hindu, you know, about all our gods and goddesses and all their qualities and their strength. And, but, but those, it was just like always these kind of abstract ideas and deities. Mm. And when I was doing that very, very strong asana practice, like six days a week and getting super strong in my body, it was the first time in my life that I was, I felt those powers within myself. I was like, mm. oh, like all the powers of all those gods and goddesses I grew up learning, even though I grew up learning that they're, all those energies are within us, it was the first time I actually had that like direct experience that, yeah, all these powerful energies are within me because they were actually, mm. like the asana was helping me to loosen my blocks and get connected to my inner strength and, mm, mm, you know, mm. so yeah. it, it was actually very powerful for me. I think you mentioned an interesting thing there that um, there's often a lot of and kind of segueing onto to another subject slightly that you, there is often this kind of piety in the Western world brought to things like, you know, yoga, um, which you don't necessarily find when you, you go to India and you see the cel celebratory nature of a festival or of, mm -hmm. of anyone who's doing something uh, dynamic and, and creative, right? Um, and then there's this kind of feeling, well, you know, oh, yoga, it should be like this. And it's like, well, then there's mm -hmm. a guy, Larry, celebrating himself, basically celebrating yeah. his own energy, celebrating mm -hmm. you know, the potency of the human, um, you know, condition, you know, um, right. why not, you know? And, uh, and some, mm -hmm. in some respects, there's a kind of, in fact, a kind of Protestant kind of narrative being brought upon the yoga, which is expansive, you know, and, Mm -hmm. very positive towards the body, very positive towards the, the human expression. If you look at the tantric roots of yoga anyway, um, yes. and that's kind of like dumbed down now in this, you know, or it needs to be like this. And if it's not like this, then it, you know, it can't be traditional yoga, you know, and Larry mm -hmm. isn't traditional because he's mm -hmm. too focused on the asana or, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, and it brings me on to, uh, you know, the subject that I got in touch with you first of all to, to talk about, which was the idea of appropriation in uh, yoga culture. And a wonderful article I recommend anyone to read of uh, Remus. It's a short article, but very good um, in the Yoga Journal, Elephant Journal, sorry, Elephant Journal, Yoga Journal. I think it's in 2022 you wrote it. Was that November 2022? That sounds right. Something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. read it. It's easy to find, Rima Data and the Elephant Journal article. And uh, talking about yoga appropriation and uh, a contrary voice, which I think is interesting and uh, probably much needed and saying well you know actually you know indians are quite happy with people trying you know, like the people came to your village the, the the villagers were happy with them trying to uh you mentioned trying to do to speak a little sanskrit or do yoga even if it wasn't perfect right and uh, there's another yes. narrative which on this the vein of appropriation which is actually quite destructive you know not only to to the indigenous people but you know to, to westerners and to them trying to to find out more about about the culture Hmm. Yeah, I think a couple of years ago, what happened, because I, I have traveled quite a bit through Europe and Asia teaching. So I've, I've, I have good friends, you know, all over. And some of my good friends who I know are very sincere, beautiful teachers and practitioners, not of Indian descent, but, you know, have beautiful practices. And they started to contact me when some of this, the cultural appropriation dialogue was some of the angles people were taking were becoming popular. And I could see how hurt 
They were, and they were even asking me, "Should we stop teaching yoga? Like, should we?" Have call you been it thinking? That, yeah. <laughs> Have you been holding back all the time from telling us that we shouldn't be doing this? Right? Like, <laughs> and, I, and I know them. Yeah. I know them personally. So, and I know like these particular people are such beautiful teachers. And I was like, "No, we need you. <laughs> don't don't turn away from the yoga world." And you know, so I I was I was um, I don't know some of the, those more popular voices made me feel bad and just like i was actually this doesn't actually represent um my how my family experienced this yeah. or my yeah. experience mm -hmm. my family's experience mm -hmm. my parents my grandparents you know a couple generations and so i just felt like representing a different voice and it's mm. not that we don't think that yoga has been misunderstood or even misrepresented because i think you know, we would agree that there there is a very much of a focus on asana, and there are a lot of yogis who aren't aware of the other aspects. And and so I think we would agree that there's a need to, you know, help people understand all the dynamics of yoga, and especially the teachings about the mind and how we can use yoga to help us with anxiety and depression and all these things that are so important right now to address. You know, so it's not that there isn't work to do and that there isn't some misrepresentation, but it's just that, like, let's work on it together with kindness and compassion and forgiveness and love, you know, and not with this, like, not with not being divisive. Because mm. I, it's just makes me a little crazy because I, I just feel like if yogi, if we can't, if we're, if yogis become divisive, that scares me. Like, what hope do we have of this world? There's so much division and violence in the world. So if we as yogis are being divisive, and that's very disturbing to me. And I, that's why yeah. I had to like write that article and be like, wait, wait a second. <laughs> you know, like, let's not go down that road. And potentially, as you mentioned, it can also turn you into a victim, you know, a victim of yeah. mis, you know, misrepresentation and, and uh, yeah, disempower the, the people it's meant to empower, obviously. That's, a, you know, a contrary mm -hmm. you know, angle to the whole thing, isn't it? But, yeah, I mean, things have become polemical. Everyone's calling each other out. And, and, and you no, know, essentially, it's just another form of one-upmanship or virtue signaling, isn't it, really? A lot of the time, I'm not sure right. that the people are even interested in the real subject. But, um, you, know, on, you know, on a deeper level, well, yoga has always evolved. And when you mentioned the qualities of devotion, stability, clarity of mm -hmm. mind, I mean, these are ambiguous terms at the best of times. And, and, you know, and perhaps they can be found in many different ways. And traditionally in India, we talk of traditional, you know, what is traditional yoga? They have been found in many different ways. It's a, it's a very, di I mean, you know, the, the subcontinent, geographically speaking, has given birth to many, many different in incredible ways of mm -hmm. finding oneself or communing with God or whatever, that, you know, whatever we want right. to call it. It's been very diverse and increasingly we're narrowing it down to it. If it's traditional, it has to be like this, this, this. But, you know, if you look, mm -hmm. you know, behind, scratch the surface, you'll find a plethora of, uh, of ways that this is done, right? Um, Absolutely. What would you say then? Yeah. I mean, is there anything that cannot be taken out of this? I mean, you know, talking about what what we can do then, you know, what we can do for studios and, and, uh, and for teachers. Uh, is there anything that you say, well, you know, if it's not, if it doesn't have the, because I often go on the, you know, write posts and stuff about these things. If it's not this, 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 then we cannot call it yoga. You know, is there anything that, you know, mm -hmm. you would say you'd like to see kind of in stone as, you know, things to adhere to? Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, you know, I, I get surprised sometimes because I have been a guest on many teacher training programs. And I think there can be a lot of work done at that level of teacher trainings, because I don't blame teachers who aren't Indian to not have teachings on things besides asana, because most teacher trainings, that's the bulk of what's covered, you know, so how can we blame teachers? But I think there's, there's work to be done at that level of teacher training to bring in other subjects and, and, um, you know, to, to, take time to learn, uh, to, to read some of the texts, like the Bhagavad Gita, or the Upanishads, and, um, or if, you know, depending on who's teaching the training, maybe a Buddhist text. But, but what I, I find, where, where I find there's a lot of room for improvement is bringing in the elements of the mind. You know, how can we use these practices? To, of course, when we practice asana, or any, most any style of yoga, like we're going to experience some peace of mind, right? In Shavasana, mm. we're all pretty peaceful, but it's fleeting, right? It, it, it can go pretty fast. In a few minutes, all your problems come back. And if you're angry or sad, those emotions come back. So what I feel is that, like, let's spend time really with these texts because they really teach us how to experience a peace that's more lasting, but that requires more inner work, you know, looking at our thoughts, looking at our emotions, learning mm. how to shift the ones that are harmful. And th those are very like, those teachings are there in the, in the Vedic texts. But I find that that's, that's pretty much missing in the, in the trainings and in our classes, which is so, I think people want that and it could be really useful you know i think on a practical level it's hard to find good practical translations of the text that are appropriate to modern everyday life and you go back to reading the vedas good luck with that you know or even some of the upanishads <laughs> right. like how are you mm -hmm. going to do that or you know or read the yoga sutras without the commentaries you know like well mm -hmm. that's open to a lot of interpretation and then the bhagavad-gita if you don't get a modern uh translation right that language is right. pretty antiquated and uh, you know all the talk of the long-haired krishna and the strong-armed bimsa and all that you know like mm -hmm. it's you know, yeah. I think one difficulty is these texts perhaps need to be made more applicable and modern to a modern audience yeah. to kind of grab them, to grab them, you know. Uh, and this mm -hmm. is the personal kind of mantle that I'm going on now is to try and try and somehow do that, you know, because they've got mm -hmm. all the stuff there. But it's, you know, it, we've just moved on. I mean, like, you know, the modern, mm -hmm. you know, even in the last few years, you know, the, the modern experience, you know, is, mm -hmm. is, is so different, you know. Um, so, right. Perhaps is that yeah. one of the, one reason is that difficulty of trying to translate these things to a modern context, and mm -hmm. also, I mean, things like the Yoga Chitta Vritti Narodaha that people love to quote. You know, how does that relate to daily life? I mean, you know, that is stopping the mind. Like so, so this Bible of yoga, you know, the Bible of you know that's wheeled in in every teacher training is like, well, you know, yes, it could be applicable, but we're going to have to do a bit of legwork to make mm -hmm. Chitta Vritti a useful tenet in everyday life. You know. Yeah, I mean, yoga chitti, it's like, it's not just stopping the mind, it's, it's, it's uh, literally like overcoming the harmful fluctuations of the mind, you know, so when you look at the sutras, it's like, what, what are the fluctuations of the mind that are causing the most harm? Because, because our thoughts and our emotions, they create, you know, granthis, 
as a Sanskrit word for knots or blocks. So there's a lot in the text about this mind-body connection, which I I feel like we talk about yoga being mind-body-spirit, but I don't actually feel that we've grasped that that as a yoga community. Right, because how how do thoughts and emotions create blocks? Like those teachings are there, like what types of thoughts and emotions create what types of knots and what parts of the subtle body, which then affect the gross body. Yeah. And um, and how... like in this, um, the Yoga Sutras, they talk about kleshas, which are destructive emotions and thoughts. And like the major kleshas are anger, jealousy, attachment, anxiety, sorrow, confusion. And, and there are teachings of like, how do we look at these? Like not just mm. push them aside, but how do we actually face them? Mm-hmm. And how can we move through them and then eventually free ourselves of them? And I feel like now with, you know, so many people struggling with anxiety and all these, these kinds of um, mental unrest, those teachings are actually really valuable. And, and maybe, I don't know, but maybe that's where some like representation is important because I think, I think there is something about growing up with these texts and, you know, hearing them for decades and decades since we were babies, that maybe it's, maybe that's like a window where it's nice to have someone, a a guest teacher or something, someone come in who can explain these texts in ways that are, that people can understand today. Practical. Yeah. 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 Because um, what happened with me, like I actually, as you know, I love asana and I I love the physical aspect of the practice, but I've always been aware of the the mind practices too, the mind trainings. Um, But I I did have some distance from them, like when I got into my 30s and and, um, just got busy with like teaching and, and traveling. And in my own personal life, like when things kind of fell apart, I went through a separation with the father of my child and mm. my mind actually spiraled down. And I, I experienced great amounts of anxiety and sorrow and these cliches. So what I did is, you know, I, I must have been in my mid-30s then. I, I went back to the, the Gita and the Upanishads mm. and I read them again, you know, <laughs> for the millionth time, but at least at that moment in my life i when i read them it it did speak to me in a different way because yeah. i was suffering in my mind i was really noticing the teachings of like how to mm. how to face these cliches these disturbances in our mind mm. and like very specific very useful teachings on how to overcome them you know so so i started to bring them into my practices mm. and teachings and mm. I, got, I suppose perhaps the, the readiness is everything, really, and, and you know maybe the asana that kind of keeps one in the ballpark, as it were, until there's a point mm-hmm. in life where it's like, okay, the recognition of that the, the suffering is there as an inherent part of life becomes apparent to everyone, and yes, that's when right. maybe then the readiness is there to really actually look and and uh, and unfortunately a lot of, a lot of the trainings you talk about, mind trainings, etc., are more apparent mm-hmm. in Buddhist 
um, uh, you know, practices, which is a shame that they are seen now as so divergent to to yoga practices mm-hmm. because obviously they're they're not. They are very you know right. they're, they're you know they're one and the same really. That you know they they come from mm-hmm. the same source and exactly yeah yeah and they should be they brought are, they should right. be brought in rather than say well oh that's Buddhist it's not yoga so you can't be you can't be a Buddhist mm-hmm. in a yoga practice so that's just a load of rubbish um, yeah. yeah I, I actually <laughs> I totally agree because I've seen that a lot in the yoga world today. There's like the Buddhists who are meditating and then the yogis who are doing asana. <laughs> but if you look at the Vedic texts, all those mind training techniques are there too. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. You know, very similar to Buddhism actually. Um, so, so I feel like, so I, I feel like all those mental aspects were a part of yoga, like the original yeah, yoga teachings yeah. and that has been lost. And so for us, for any, like a yoga educator, was teaching teacher trainings or just in that role of educating people on yoga i think it is important to just take a pause and one way or another find a teacher or find a translation that i can suggest some but that that are easy to read and understand and start bringing those teachings into your trainings and your classes and and that is a better representation of yoga you know, mm, sure. in the mind. So let, let me know a few things aspect. and we'll put them in the footnotes yeah. of the show and uh, if you've got any sure. recommendations for books that people might read I'm sure they'd be super interested to, to hear them um, yeah I have a, a couple of favorite uh, translations and they can make all the difference right I remember getting my hands <laughs> on the translation I like of the Bhagavad Gita and for the first time I was like well that is a book I really like. Previous to that, it was like I couldn't get past it. It was like a musty old battlefield. Oh, the right. language was old, oh, yeah. like Winthrop Sargent mm-hmm. or something. I couldn't get into it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but latterly I found one. You know, it's probably a populist one. It's, it's the translation of Stanley Lombardo's one. I say it to everyone that it's going to may not be the most exact translation perhaps mm-hmm. but it's one that gets you into the ideas of it and that's the main thing right. Mm-hmm. And, you know I suppose along Good. those lines you know like how how exact does one need to be like, on talking about practicalities now on, on, you know, going into yoga studio. And often people say to me, like, you know, as teachers, well, should we, should we say uh, the prayers? Should we say the prayers in Sanskrit oh. if we can't pronounce them right? And, and, uh, and what about this one? Um, you know, someone often says this to me, uh, he'll be very happy. I brought it up when uh, if she's listening. Um, should I say nam- namaste to my students? Because people call me out for saying namaste at the start of a class, but I like to say namaste, but other people say I shouldn't say that, you know, uh, other things like uh, positioning of a statue. People will turn their, the feet away, for example. They'll turn their feet away yeah. and do Shavasana facing the statue. Uh, you mentioned not having the statue on the floor for example uh, yeah. what kind of things might you say or, or uh, another one you I, I like is not using uh, swear words i think you call them curse words and um, maybe that's american <laughs> parlance um you know we call them swearing not using swear words okay. around yoga and people like to say yeah. fucking all the time about this or that or the other and it, it gets in, involved yeah. in yoga as well doesn't it so uh, but yeah let, let me know what, what what you think uh we could do to to make it uh you know just more respectful you know in terms of yeah. culturally respectful yeah yeah, I do think that is important, you know, and and I I find that the people I know, I, like you, are are asking the questions and and would would never do something disrespectful on purpose, which is again Probably why not. I feel yeah. like I don't yeah. like those dialogues of like shaming and mm, blaming because mm, mm, if mm. there's a mistake, like if there's a mistake and we can correct it, we don't have to put each other down, you know. Um, but yeah, I think it is if you have a studio to to take some time to learn about like where to put the statues what they represent what the meaning of them 
Um, and yeah, we don't put our feet, you know, close to them or towards them and things like that. I, it, it is nice to, to learn that and respect that. Um, yeah. And so, as far as Sanskrit, it, it's tricky because, you know, for me, and I would, I'm sure my family would agree, <laughs> but we, we're, you know, with spirituality, things are just more on, a, on an energetic level, you know? So for me, I would be more wondering, like, what is the, what's in this person's heart? You know, what is, what is their energy? What is their, rather than being caught up in like, oh, they mispronounce this particular word. Um, so I think that's what matters is, you know, if, if the teacher respects the the language and the tradition and the culture and is happy to share a, a mantra or a chant, then then share it. And if the pronunciation isn't perfect, it's okay. But again, if you're in the role of a teacher or an educator, I think it's good to take the time to to learn. You know, if you're doing the Vande Guru Nam chant every day for two decades, then you know, take the take the time to 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 learn the pronunciation. And if it's still not perfect, it's okay. But just the effort, you know. Mm. Is, um, but right. I wouldn't I wouldn't I discourage, go back to that again, then. Yeah, I wouldn't discourage <laughs> oh, no. anyone because you know what is the meaning of namaste? It's it, namaste is like I don't I don't I'm not crazy about the translation like the light in me. Yes. yes. To the light in you, because yeah. with this philosophy we're getting away from me and you. It's a unity, right? So I see namaste as like we bow to the light that connects us and reminds us that we're fundamentally the same. So if I'm Did you say that I, growing up? I mean that's the feeling. You know, right. but, I mean, we didn't say that because I mean, namaste. Yes, yeah, yeah we used the word yeah. namaste. Oh, right, sure, okay. right, yeah, right. Um, but yeah. So, but that, but the feeling behind it is, it's like we're bowing to this light that connects us. It's not like mine mm. and yours, and, and right, right, right. It's just that mm -hmm. there's this one light that connects us, and I'm, I'm yeah. acknowledging it, mm. and um, and so like central to the philosophy is. You know, in the Gita, they'll actually say, like, like counter the separation that the mind creates between yourself and another, because that's what our minds do, right? They say, I am this and you are that. Like even yoga chitti vritti narodha, yoga is that which we use to overcome the fluctuations of the mind, right? So but what is, you know, if you look deeper into the text, they'll say, like, what is the biggest fluctuation of the mind? And it's this, it's this sentence, I am this and you are that. I am this, you are that. Like that fluctuation of the mind creates so much division. Instead of saying, I bow to the light that connects us or recognizing our common ground. Mm -hmm. you know, right, you know? mm -hmm. So, yeah. so um, you know, coming so deeply from that kind of philosophy, that's why it's hard for me to hear some of the dialogue around cultural appropriation because it's so much like, oh, this is my culture. But but that's not how my grandparents would see it. Like this is this like yoga was a gift to humanity. Like this is ours. You know? Kind of imagine so, as we speak about before that, you know, they're just kind of 
flattered and interested that people are, are you know, appreciating it so much and, and yeah. spending so much time trying to learn it, you know? Um, right. So yeah. that's the bigger picture. It's like, wow, like you're interested. Yeah. The world is interested yeah. in this beautiful, peeling practice. And then yeah. the other stuff is like small details. Like, oh, their Sanskrit was mispronounced. Okay. <laughs> well, we can work on that. <laughs> it's... Um, yeah, well, I mean, again, if, it comes down yeah. to the kind of idea of authenticity, doesn't it? Or, you know, I mean, the same with kind of the Bhagavad Gita. Intention is everything. If you're wearing the mala beads and saying namaste to mm-hmm. so simply to sell something to people and you feel that that would be the right garb, like taking on a yoga uniform, then that's one thing. But if you're doing it because mm-hmm. you're really you feel like that and you really, you know, ensconcing yourself in a, you know, in a tradition, that's another thing. It's a completely different thing, isn't it? So it's, you know, it's again, it's about intentionality and, and it's very hard to judge what someone's intentionality is apart from you get an intuition sometimes perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, I think at most we can be concerned about ourselves, you know, like what our own intention and, you know, what, what we're giving our students rather than Mm. looking and blaming and judging. It's like, let me, you know, be the most authentic and that would be, um, that'd be nice. Teach yeah, with the, yeah, as much integrity as I can. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because to be honest, I mean, I'm sure I, I've been teaching now, I don't know, for 20, I think I'm going on 22 or 23 years. I'm 47. And I, I am, um, st- <laughs> I still am refining my teaching, you know? So it's like for all of us, there's room for improvement and, and um, there's room for learning, and so I, I feel like I feel like it's 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 good to acknowledge that there are some imbalances, you know, in the yoga world, and there's room for improvement. But like, let's let's do that. Let's improve the representation yes. of yoga. Yeah, together. in a more supportive um, and and, uh, and positive way rather than just putting each other down, which tends to happen. Yeah. But that's the spirit of commercialism there as well, isn't it? Um, what, how are you, just to, just to wrap this up now, how, how, what are you doing with your yoga now? I mean, you mentioned you had a background in obviously the rocket and you've done some Ashtanga, I know. Um, and then you mentioned you're doing some sequences now for different emotions or working on different emotions. Let, let, let the reader, the, the readers, the listeners just know like what, what kind of thing I've done it for long enough. I should know by now. Um, what kind of thing you're doing on these days in terms of your practice? How has it evolved these days? Yeah. Uh, you know, when I went back to the text, like the Upanishads, they have, very detailed teachings of the koshas, the subtle body, the layers of our being, the values, which are our inner winds, the chakras, and how our thoughts and emotions affect our subtle body. And so what I started doing, and I did this for myself because I was struggling with um, some of these emotions. So I came up with each destructive emotion. Hmm. So I had a sequence for anger, a sequence for attachment, a sequence for jealousy. And each sequence has a mantra and asana and pranayama. How do you pick the postures? Especially for something like jealousy. Like how would you, what would would a jealous posture look like or a posture that was (laughs) combating jealousy? How would that look? Yeah. So in the text, you'll see that like jealousy, it affects the belly the area, okay. the organs of the digestive system. And so I would like put some twists in the pose and the sequence that, you know, get to that area and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like anger affects the heart, the winds at the heart, the chakra, at the heart chakra. So then some back bends and poses that open this area. 
um, like attachment affects the the winds at the throat. And so some like inversions and poses that work this area. So like that. But I, I did like for each sequence had asana, like I mentioned, pranayama, mantra, visualizations. And um, and I honest, again, I did that for myself. And then, you know what I noticed um, when I was going through this tough time in my life? I, I think it was about seven, eight years ago. And at that time, some of my very close friends who are also deep practitioners of yoga have been teaching for years. They were also going through very tough, like personal um, tragedies in their life, like losing loved ones or relationships falling apart. And, and we were talking and they were also saying that, you know, I have this strong asana practice. I have a strong pranayama practice, but still like my mind is, is really disturbed. Like I'm having a hard time getting a hold of my mind and dealing with my anger and, you know, these kinds of emotions. Mm -hmm. And so they inspired me too. And so I started uh, sharing these sequences with my teacher friends and yogi friends. And then I actually just turned it into a training and I, I, I'm doing what I, what I'm, what I was um, encouraging all of us to do, which is like, go back to the level of teacher training and bring in these mind aspects of yoga into into training so that teachers have these tools and mm. and and yoga is just um better represented with like how do we work not just on the body but how do we work mm. on these or yeah recognizing these... the two are together right i mean it's a yeah. shame that they weren't that wasn't in krishnamachari's early teaching because i think things would be very different if he were to have mm -hmm. used mantra i think if uh, for various reasons mm -hmm. that wasn't the case one reason he was teaching very very young boys at that time you know yeah but, you know and then later on i think he would have brought those things when he was teaching one-to-one -one, use of mantra and visualizations etc and postures i mean one problem with mm -hmm. the ashtanga sequences that everyone will probably point out or many people is that they're too fast you know that you it'll right. be it's, yeah. you know, hard to keep up with a mantra and a visualization mm -hmm. when you're mm -hmm. you're racing through right. these dynamic sequences right they're really tough but mm -hmm. but you know if you look yeah. at people like the raj of order apa pant you know and you know the the, the they who kind of formulated the sun salutations in the modern era really that's you know these these two <laughs> people were very instrumental in, in popularizing the, the uh, surinamaskar now the right. raj of Ord always used mantra when he and visualizations yes. in going through mm -hmm. the sun salutations you know yes. um so right. yeah. why couldn't those be brought back in they, that's a very good idea and uh yeah yeah and i, I actually that practice that way and i love it mm. you know practicing with the month this just the surinamaskar mm. practicing mm. with the mantra and the subtle body awareness and it becomes such a beautiful layered practice and it, it, it is working at the level of the mind when we practice with the mantra For and sure. they're, they're very empowering mantras, you know? So that's like, sometimes I introduce people to mantra with, with those sun salutation mantras and, and, but you know, I don't a lot know. of injury as well, you know? I mean, because people will be just pushing mm -hmm. so much in the asana. You've got more to think about, and yes. yoga is expanded mm -hmm. out of just the, developing the asana. You're doing the mantra and the visualization. I think there'll be a lot less injuries generally, actually, as well. Yeah, yeah. and it slows us down, which yeah. is nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, but I don't. I mean, I 
when I think of like Krishnamacharya and the lineage of Iyengar and Patapi Joyce, I mean, I wonder, <clears throat> one of the ways I got inspired to look at emotions is because I, I learned about a female yogi. Her name was Naguma, but she looked at the emotions and the subtle body in her yoga practices. And so, so sometimes I wonder just, um, most of the yoga that we, that is popular today is from a male perspective. Mm. And I wonder if we had more female voices and just, just that, just knowing that one little bit about Naguma, like really inspired me. Like, like my whole, when I went back to the Gita and the Upanishads, I think sh she was, I was inspired by her. So I was, like picking up those teachings about the emotions and thoughts and how to work with them. And I don't know, maybe we need more of a feminine touch, you know, to, mm -hmm. to our yoga yeah. practices. There's certainly enough around on the yoga and the patriarchy as well. And you know, there's some, and there's some reasonable grounds to assume that, yeah, we need a little bit of balance in there. Uh, yeah. Send us, send us anything, you know, about, Niguma, um, I'm sure, because the first thing is people will ask me in a comment. <laughs> so if you know anything, yeah. we'll put it, and she mm -hmm. she comes back with anything, then we'll put it in the uh, in the notes below. And um, yeah, I mean, I'll just say we don't know. I mean, I've had that. You don't know much. For a decade. We okay. Don't know yeah, much. people are going to ask, aren't they? So I want to see that. But, yeah, it's a shame because yeah. um, there certainly were now yogi known female yogis practicing, but for some reason, yeah. there's not much record of it. But I suppose because it was outside the established any kind of established mm -hmm. order they would have been practicing right um, but there's enough so. teachings in the text that we can piece together you know like right. what i did we can piece together these practices on bringing in awareness of our thoughts and emotions into our practices and how to shift out of the destructive ones and you know replace them with because the texts are very clear that these kind of like certain thoughts and emotions they they take away our prana like they drain us of our energy and we get deplete they lead to sickness and you know these things that are becoming proven by science today that our thoughts and emotions affect our health and our vitality that's all in our in these you know ancient texts and and quite a bit yeah. of detail so so we can we can learn and bring them into our practices yeah, yeah. I think it was great to bring that up because I think, unfortunately, I, I mean, I have a bit of a chip on my shoulder about the use of this uh, one quote in the Yoga Sutras because it, it what that does, mm -hmm. I think, is encourage people not to look. It's, it's complete suppression oh. or, you know, denial of the, the, the mind-body experience, right? And mm -hmm. where yoga, you know, if, if we're looking at the modern practices that we're doing i mean they're much more based in a tantric expression of engaging with these emotions engaging with the body yes. engaging in the mm -hmm. feelings of the body are much more let's mm -hmm. say gendered i'll probably get in trouble for using the term feminine energy but the masculine idea of mm -hmm. oppression subjugation and domination is on one hand the yoga sutras and i'd say on the other hand you're absolutely right we the, the the emotions are there and they, they're to be used i think especially in the modern era you know when we're, we're constantly mm -hmm. suffering mm -hmm so many stimulating uh and you know and um, emotional states that um, i think that yes. it's uh, very helpful to phrase yoga more in that in that capacity um well i suppose we've done almost an hour um look okay. um, it's been wonderful to chat to you i'm always I'm ending with a, a couple of questions um they're quick fire questions and uh, i think okay. i 
I haven't done this for a while, so I'm just trying to remember them myself. Oh, yes. it's a, What is an inspiration for you? This is it. What is, <laughs> I should know it by now. An inspiration for you. Like, it could be a book, a personal place, blah, blah, blah. Or, and uh, we say a guilty pleasure. Um, uh, <laughs> let me know you're not guilty oh. of anything. That's fine, too. But, uh, you know, just, you, just as long as you don't say chocolate, um, and anything can be uh, uh, just a... Uh, you know, something which you mm -hmm. take pleasure in life, I suppose, that isn't necessarily yoga related. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, you asked what inspires what inspires me. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would say, you know, honesty inspires me. Like, I just love. I don't even. It doesn't even matter what people are saying, but if they're honest, <laughs> I just find it beautiful. Even if it's like I'm struggling with this Sanskrit word, or I don't even know if I like Sanskrit. You know, just I just love honesty, and. Um, and but yeah, when I see people like that's that's brave, you know, especially these days where people are so sensitive and we all feel like we have to walk on eggshells. Mm. When I see someone who's just honest and brave and speaking their truth, that's just so beautiful and inspiring to me, you know. And um, I'm like, yes, and I I, I want to keep doing that and do it more when I see people doing that. Um. What else? My, my, yeah, you have to write have a new a, article, don't you? You have to keep <laughs> writing those. You know, I, I think you said you were going to write more and, and I haven't found any more. Write some more articles. Oh, yeah. 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 You know, my, yeah. my daughter and her friends inspire me. They, they, I can, I can see how, I, this is not politically correct to say, but I just talked about bravery. So, you know, I can see that they really can, like, all that matters is what's in their hearts. You know, it doesn't matter. Like, my, if you see my daughter and her friends, they're all different races and backgrounds. And it's just like, they don't see that. It, does, it doesn't matter. It's just like they connect heart from heart, heart to heart. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, can we, can we do that again as adults? You know? mm -hmm. And um, just, it's just, and that's, I feel like all spiritual teachings are just, they have that in common that it's the energy that matters, you know, like just being loving and compassionate, understanding and forgiving. And, and I see how easily my daughter and her friends make mistakes and hurt each other and then forgive and talk mm. and laugh. And, mm -hmm. you know, so it's beautiful to be able to witness that. Um, one of my guilty pleasures <laughs> is uh, I love to make Number. popcorn and I, I make all these like, I put all these like fun little things in the popcorn to make it tasty. And my daughter and I will just watch Harry Potter and just cuddle up. And even though we've watched the whole seven, I think it's seven or eight movies, we watched the whole series multiple times. Oh, really? Right. We just right. like, that's our favorite thing to do, like right. evening time. <laughs> we'll just like yeah. make popcorn cuddle up, watch Harry Potter for the hundredth time. And what, it feels like a guilty pleasure. What kind of fun pleasure. things do you put in the popcorn? That, that sounds fun. <laughs> uh, I put like spices. Okay, you might have a masala popcorn. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a, like a masala yeah. popcorn. Yeah. Cool. And I, I feel sounds guilty. Good. I feel guilty because I feel like, oh, I could use this time to like get my daughter to practice the piano or <laughs> harmonium or sing mantra. Oh, you're right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. It I'm sounds like, no, nice. let's just, yeah, let's yeah, just yeah, watch yeah, it. Yeah, hey, hey. Well, thanks for coming on. And uh, yeah, for any further notes, look at the uh, the notes below. Um, yeah, it's been a pleasure, Rima, to chat to you today. And uh, yeah, I hope to see you in, uh, see more of your work online again, because I think you're 
you know, your voice is needed in this uh, current era. Well, thank you for having me. It's yeah, been fun to it's talk. Been a great chat. Thanks. Thank you.